do design decisions involve value judgments? Andy Halliwell has gone and posted this question on LinkedIn as part of our redesigning D&T project and debates. I think this is a really tricky one to answer and our expert group felt that it was an important question that needed debating. Do design decisions involve value judgments? I think firstly, I'd be saying, what do you mean by a value judgment, a values judgment? And maybe in your response to Andy's question, you'll explore what you understand and what your views are of what value judgments are and then whether they actually impinge on or affect the design decisions that designers make and also that children make in D&T lessons. So do join the debate. We're always open to conversation and discussion on this. But for now, on to the next episode. This is the Talking D&T podcast, episode 64. Welcome to the Talking D&T podcast with me, Alison Hardy, a podcast for anybody interested in design and technology education, where I'll be sharing news, views, ideas and opinions about D&T. This is the final episode of the four part that I said I was going to do about the history of design and technology. And in this final episode, I'm going to go back to pre-1992. I appreciate that some people listening will go, but I wasn't born then. Well, I was definitely born then. And I was just graduating from Brunel University at that point. So pre-92 was really important to me in terms of shaping my view of design and technology. And it's where I got my experiences of design and technology as a pupil. So... I'm not going to go right back um, to before my time at school. I'm going to go a little bit to the 70s, mainly the 80s, and then into the early 90s. But I'm not going to go every year, so it's not going to be a really long podcast episode. Or it's not planning on being unless I go off at, at some different tangents and talk about some of the things that I did in design and technology when I was at school. But I am talking um, in sort of in tandem, really, around what was happening nationally, politically about curriculum for all school subjects, because this was pre the national curriculum. But I'm also very aware that I studied my schools, my primary school, my secondary school were in Wales. And there were some things that were different. So yes, up until the age of 13, I studied Welsh at school. Um, Nope, can't remember an awful lot of it. But there were also some other subtle differences. So what was happening before 92, as I said, is there was no national curriculum. And different different areas, there were lots of different examples. Some exams could be designed locally. I think at one point when I looked back at some of the work that I did for my doctorate when I was writing about the history of design and technology, I think at one point there were over 70 qualifications for pre-16 that were related to design and technology. And so what that meant was that schools, teachers, departments had an opportunity to write their own curriculum and to work towards a whole range of different exam qualifications. Some of the, uh, and it was also pre-GCSE, if you before 1986. So we had O-levels and CSEs. CSEs were often quite locally written. 
so that meant that teachers had flexibility. But what it meant for design and technology, which only came into existence as a united, and I use that word united advisedly because is it united? Was it united in 1992? You know, prior to that, there was home economics, craft design and technology. There was technology. There was design. There was all sorts of different pockets of activity. There was some major national projects. Um, there was the project about design education that tend to be led by um, the Royal College of Art. Royal College of Art. I'm sure somebody will tell me if I've got that wrong. There was the technology project, which was led by Geoffrey Harrison at Nottingham Trent. There was the project led by John Eggleston over at Keele about design and craft. And so there's all these different factions, facets, aspects of what became known as design and technology. What isn't being mentioned there is home economics, but that was also being taught in schools. And, you know, a a lot of the origin of of these different aspects have come from different spaces, have come from arts, have come from craft, they've come from apprenticeships, have come from domestic, they've come from training, they've come from the junior technical schools that were happening as a result of the 1944 curriculum changes. So, you know, we can go back a long way when we start to think about why these different versions, different parts, different iterations of design and technology was happening. But in the work that I've done around this and and my reading is there were three aspects that kept coming through. In actual fact, probably four if I want to kind of go even into more divisions. But design, the place of design in these different subjects and as part of a core curriculum. The place of craft. Where does craft sit in these different subjects? Where does it sit in its priority? There's the base of creativity. There was tensions, discussions about what is creativity. And then there was also technology. What do we mean by technology? And that was very much around Geoffrey Harrison's work. So these separate different terms and one of the precursors to the Design and Technology Association, the Association of Advisors in Design and Technical Studies, They defined these different aspects of craft, design and technology separately. But even back amongst these rich conversations that were happening in the 1980s, there was an opinion from some that design and technology should be core factors in what was then CDT. But there wasn't also these dilemmas, these differences, these discussions going on in the CDT camp, for want of a better encompassing term, home economics was having a a similar debate. And as, as one person comments, I became increasingly aware that home economics was becoming a catch-all term, that practitioners are hard-pressed to have a clear idea of their work. And I don't think that's changed. I'm not convinced that there's a, a strong difference in our understanding or the external understanding of design and technology, whether people want to see it as home economics or design technology or product design, 
These are catch-all terms. Now, one of the things that was going on to try and clarify the nature of these different subjects was a series of booklets were published between 1984 and 1989 called the Curriculum Matters Booklets. And they were published as a result of a political speech that was given talking about the curriculum. Um, quite a famous speech um, called the Ruskin speech that um, Callaghan gave at uh, Ruskin College. And that kind of kind of was seen as a, as a key turning point in international curriculum. I kind of love reading all these different bits about how things connect together. Um, and there was these curriculum matters books that came out to clarify different subjects. And there was one called Home Economics from 5 to 16. There was one called Craft Design and Technology from 5 to 16. And I'll put links in the show notes to the website where these are available to download because I think they're really interesting documents that give an insight to some of the discussions that have still not been resolved about design and technology that were that were going on. And let's not forget that home economics included cooking and textiles. Okay, that was a that was again a catch-all, all-encompassing title. But the sorts of things that was that were talked about in these books that they talked about in the home economics one, for example, about everyday living. But they did talk about the capacity to make judgments based on a real, a reasonable consideration of evidence about different aspects of homes and households, but also thinking about uh, design. But actually, in the home economics book, interestingly, design activity at that point in the 1980s only featured in the textile section. Okay, that's, I find that really interesting. Um, that's as if to say that we don't do any design when we're working with food as a material. Well, I'm sure food technologists would decry that statement. And then CDT, the booklet about CDT, did talk about designers. As you'd expect, there'd been a conversations that I've already alluded to that design and technology was really a core aspect of CDT. And the sorts of things they talked about there is that design involved Defining a task. What does that sound like? Contextual challenges. Deciding on how the task is to be done and responding to the consequences of thoughts and actions, both as they happen and later when the result is judged. That doesn't sound any different than what we do today in design and technology, in good design and technology. It is directed towards products or systems which are made or affected to meet specific requirements. Pupils are predicting problems which will or may arise as a result of the decisions they are contemplating. This is wicked problems that work that uh, Richard Kimball and Kay Stables and others have done about the interaction between thought and action, the combined activity, the simultaneous thought and action. This is design and technology capability talked about in the 1980s. It is still for me the core of what we're doing in design and technology. So different school subjects were being talked about in these in these different ways. And this was in the in the 1980s. When I was in secondary school, I started at secondary school in 1981. If you want to do the maths because you've got nothing better to do your time, you can work out there for how old I are. I am in 2021. And I joined I joined a comprehensive school in North Wales, um, 1500 kids in the school, 240 kids in a year group. I think I might have mentioned this before. 240 kids in a year group, eight classes, 
25 children in the year group, surname Jones. I obviously went to school in Wales. And there were actually three Claire Joneses and two Peter Joneses in my form group, which I do look back on with some uh, amusement. But, you know, I, I started and we had this we had this block on our timetable for an afternoon a week of design. I think it was called design on our curriculum. And we would rotate around the department. But it actually included art and design as well. So we did ceramics. We did sketching, we did painting, we did technical drawing with Mr. Owen Owens, definitely in Wales. We did metalwork, we did woodwork, we did cooking and we did textiles. Now, the woodwork, well, piece of veneer chipboard, mark out your name between two lines, add five mil either side and then we chiseled it out. That, that was my woodwork project. Metalwork, two circles with the centre on the same axes, lines between them, cut them out, or this is on copper, cut them out with a hacksaw, in, uh, file them down, enamel, oh, I've drilled a hole. Oh, that's, a, that's not a design project, is it? That really is a mainly making or a making without design activity. And to give you the anecdote... Um, one afternoon I broke four junior hacksaw blades in one afternoon. And this older boy, there was a, there was a group of older boys in the corner and I, I, I needed some help replacing the saw. And this boy <laughs> said that junior hacksaw blades were really expensive. And I believed him and I got really upset when I broke the next blade. So I pretended to be sick, not very well and went home <laughs> early that afternoon. That was the end of my metalwork experience at secondary school because at the end of my first year, girls did not do metalwork and woodwork in years as was then the second year and third year, year eight and year nine. The girls and the boys were segregated. The boys did not do cooking or textiles either. And I have to say the cooking was no more inspirational than the woodwork or the metalwork. The cooking, we followed recipes and we sat and we copied laboriously out of textbooks week after week. And it was just so frustrating. But when it came to choosing my options, what I did really enjoy, I really enjoyed technical drawing. I really enjoyed the fact that we did have space for creativity um, within that within that space. And I did actually opt to do, in Wales at that point, it wasn't called CDT, it was called Design, Craft and Technology. I like the way they put the word design at the front. The Welsh are obviously leading the systems, leading the ideas. And I was going to do DCT uh, for my O level. But that one conversation back in metalwork where that older boy commented to me, and also some of my experiences in secondary school, I recognised that I would be one of the only girls in the class. And at that point, I did not have the strength to do that, um, the confidence to do that. So I, I didn't choose a subject. And I think that's worth thinking about, about why do we choose subjects? Why do we make choices? But what I did actually do is I did design and communication which may well have later on become graphical communication. Did love the subject. I did really enjoy it. And and it did 
give me a strong foundation for what I did next. I then went on to do A-level design, craft and technology. I was the first girl in eight years. My confidence had grown through my experiences in secondary school in that subject. And I, I had done well. Um, we had we actually had two teachers. I had another teacher who was really encouraging and creative and inspirational. And that led me into doing it at, at A-level. And, and I had a great I had a great time, did electronics. Would never have thought of doing electronics based on what I'd done in my secondary school. So there was that creativity going on in design and technology pre-1992. But there was this overhang for people like me of of the, the Equality Act from the 70s was still not being addressed in schools. This, this gendered nature beyond even just the way it was talked about, like the misogynistic teacher I had beyond that into actually girls couldn't do it or boys couldn't do it yeah and and that could have had given that at school I I didn't have the confidence and the the awareness that I have now it could have had uh took me off in a completely direction so I'm I'm saying that as a it's been a really important thing for me to think about as a teacher that is when I look back at my experience in school and how my decisions were influenced by small things. And it made me think about how I behaved as as a teacher. But along this way, as I've said, there were all these debates about what is design and technology? Where does CDT sit? Where does home economics sit? How do these things come together? And politically, changes were afoot. The government were wanting to bring in a, a national curriculum. And that did happen, and it happened, started to happen when I was doing my degree at Brunel University. I actually almost went and did a, an engineering degree, decided it, it wasn't for me. I think it was when I was going for a sponsorship interview and with a company that designed gas taps. I kind of thought, I don't really think this is going to be the direction I want to go in. Because I recognised that the design and the creativity and the freedom that some aspects of the design fields, design communities would give me more than others, such as engineering. And so actually, I I changed my applications from engineering uh, to design and technology with education. I went to Brunel University, was really inspired working alongside people who were doing the industrial design degree, exhibited at uh, the New Designers exhibition in London and had, had loads of opportunities But also on the teaching part, the education part of my degree was learning about this new curriculum that was coming in, this new sort of cohesive, potentially coherent, possibly not combined subject was coming in. And I was I was going to be part of that. And that was really exciting to to step into school. I I started teaching in 1993. I actually went and worked abroad in Czechoslovakia and then the Czech Republic. Uh, for a year after I graduated and and it was really exciting to be learning about that during my degree and then having that opportunity to go into schools and teach it in one of the first years that the national curriculum was taught in England. I actually moved into England uh, to to take up my first teaching post. So that's that's my history and that's a very snapshot history. There's loads more to it. I've I've got a paper that I'm currently working on about this history of design and technology and and what the purposes were and and why it came into existence. When that's published, I'll put a link in the show notes and obviously I'll I'll probably revisit the paper when it's available and publicly available for people to read. 
But I find looking back at history and looking back at what's gone on before where we are today is to realise that we are having some of the same conversations again and to realise that some of the things are still unresolved but also to think there are things we can learn from the past and that we do have to do some acknowledgement of that past to be able to move forward. That's what I do in my research. I'm really interested about when people went to school, what they studied, where they studied, because I do think that plays out in what they value about design and technology. And I do think in order to move forward as a subject, we do need to think about what people value as individuals and as groups about design and technology, whether they become and continue to be the articulated value of design and technology is another matter. But in order to bring people along, we have to understand where they've come from, what their experiences are, and how that has influenced their values of design and technology, because that will continue to be played out in the future of design and technology. Anyway, as ever, thanks for listening. I hope you found that interesting. Um, we'd love to hear about your history in DNT, some of those key moments, those deciding factors that have shaped how you do design and technology, what you believe and what you value. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Talking DNT podcast with me, Alison Hardy. You can connect with me on Twitter at Hardy underscore Alison. Show notes and transcripts for each podcast episode can be found on my website, alisonhardy.work. Thanks for listening.